New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. The words of Jesus that are most often quoted are drawn from the King James Version of the Bible. The New Testament was compiled some 200 years after he passed, and it was written in Greek, a language he did not speak. Jesus originally spoke Aramaic, and in this deep dialogue we'll be looking at the wisdom he imparted as it applies to us today through his native language with our guest, Neil Douglas Klotz. Neil Douglas Klotz is a teacher, scholar, author, and musician specializing in the translation and interpretation of the ancient Semitic languages of the Middle East, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Arabic. His scholarship connects religious studies and psychology. He's past chair of the mysticism group of the American Academy of Religion and is active in various international conferences dedicated to peace and spirituality. And for more than 40 years, he has followed the Sufi path and was a student of Sufi Murshed Mayuddin Jablonski and serves on the advisory board of the International Association of Sufism. His many books include Prayers of the Cosmos, The Hidden Gospel, and Revelations of the Aramaic Jesus, The Hidden Teachings on Life and Death. Join us for the next hours. We explore the relevance and wisdom of Jesus through his native language with our guest, Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz. I'm speaking with Neil from his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Neil, welcome. Thank you, Justine. From uh, somewhat sunny Scotland today. And it's afternoon there, and it's morning here. It's so great that we can connect in this way. I'm just delighted that we're here together in this way. And I just want to say in the beginning here that I was amazed at this book and how going back to this original language of Aramaic just expanded the words and the acts of Jesus specifically. So let's go back a little bit to what is this language and is it spoken today and what is your research? Yes, uh, Aramaic is one of the ancient languages of the Middle East. Uh, it is a Semitic language, as you mentioned in your introduction. Uh, 
It was the common spoken language uh, in the area in which Jesus lived at the time that he lived, uh, especially by you would, what we would call the average person. Uh, certain people who were collaborating with the Romans, who was the empire in charge at the time, who had squashed the, that area, uh, might have spoken Latin or Greek. But all of what we would call today the underclass, the poor people, would all be Aramaic speaking. In addition, uh, most, I would say, all of the phrases, the idioms, the stories that he uses make sense perfectly in Aramaic. And many of them are very obscure or you could say opaque uh, once they've been translated out of Greek into another, say, Western language. Uh, there are people who speak Aramaic today in various branches. Uh, it's now 2,000 years later, so you have really two major dialects of Aramaic. And, you know, about five or six different Aramaic-speaking Christian denominations, if you will, not all of whom and most of whom do not agree on how they speak their Aramaic. <laughs> uh, this is an oddity that they have virtually no theological differences, but they have differences about how they pronounce the Aramaic. I've encountered this in person. You know, before you ask, I'll, but I'll answer it anyway, since people want to know, we don't know exactly how Jesus spoke his Aramaic. We simply don't. We meaning us scholars. Uh, what I have done is done a combination of the two major dialects that are used today by Aramaic Christians when they say, for instance, Jesus's prayer. And then I've added a little bit of ancient Hebrew, not modern Hebrew, but ancient Hebrew, which would also be, you could say, in the intonation of the words at the time of Jesus. What was my research? Well, I started sort of, gosh, this is the long part, Justine. Hi. I started experientially. I started because I ran into uh, a letter of Samuel Lewis, Samuel L. Lewis, who was the founder of the Dances of Universal Peace. I was editing his diaries who, at the time. Who many people think of as Sufi and as Sufism. Yeah, Sufi yes. Sam. They, many people knew him in the 70s. And he wrote a, a bunch of, he was a voluminous letter writer. And being the only person, when I came to the, to the Sufis, to his Sufi group, uh, in the 70s, I was the only person who had editing skills. I had worked in publishing already. They put me in charge of editing his diaries, and uh, eventually I made a book out of them where he mentions this. And in one of the letters he says, okay, I want to do two things before I die. I want to create these dances of universal peace so people can eat, dance, and pray together. And the second thing I want to do before I die is to pray the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic. And he had done the first, but he hadn't done the second. No one even remembered him mentioning this of his, the people who had been with him in, in person. And so this Hamau struck me. It was an, it was a moment. It was an epiphany, if you want to use James Joyce's term. And, uh, I began to go on this hunt. And you might think, well, Neil, why would you bother with this? But I, I had no fear of languages. I was raised hearing different languages in my birth family. And I seem to be quite fluent in learning different languages. So I thought, well, I'll find out what this is about. And I went to a friend of Samuel Lewis's and who was a Jewish rabbi, well known, who now of blessed memory, Rabbi Zalman Schachter, Shalomi. And he helped me. And he, gave, he says, you know, here's, the, here's a version, you know, here, meditate on this, chant this a bit. 
And, and that's what I did. And, and I began to have very profound experiences. Just, I didn't even know properly how to speak Aramaic. I knew a little bit of Arabic because I'd learned a little bit. So I used a general sort of pronunciation at the time just to sort of sound different words out and intone them on one note. And I began to have very, very deep experiences. And, and that spurred me further. Oh, well, everything that you said, it just leads me. I have several questions to sort of parse out a bit of what you shared with us. First of all, number one, you mentioned Jesus's prayer. Now, I know that you distinguish, we, many of us know that prayer is the Lord's prayer, but you don't use that term. So I, I'd like for you to tell us why you call it Jesus's prayer. Well, Justine, I, I use I use Lord's Prayer when people need to understand what I'm talking about, say, in a largely Christian audience, and I speak before many Christian audiences, uh, but as I tell them, as a parenthetical, there's no word in Aramaic, really, there's no word in the entire Gospels that is properly translated as Lord. The word that is translated, Lord is a medieval feudalism. It's a feudalistic concept which was layered back over even onto the Greek to some degree uh, from the times uh, when the Bible was beginning to be translated, which is around about the time of the Reformation. The word that is usually translated as Lord in Aramaic is really uh, that which shines towards you, that which you notice as shining towards you, from from the source, from God, from oneness, you could say. And that can appear in a person, it can appear in a teacher, it can appear in a tree, and this was called mar, uh, or some version of the word Maria. Not Maria Magdalene, which is a different name entirely, but Maria Allaha. You could say it's translated as, as the shining, radiating, noticeable brilliance of of reality itself, which mm. I which I noticed. So, you know, there's the seen and the unseen. So this is in the scene, we one can see this. It's obviously a very individual experience. So then that also leads me to as you were describing your your lineage, let's say, going back to Sufi Sam and, and everyone following that, uh, all these great shining beings. Um, there was a moment you were talking about breathing the words and saying the words and i know that that's really important it's it's like the sound it's like sound is really important so if you can say something about the importance of the luminosity of sound absolutely this is very important and i point this out in all my books really because for the ancient Semitic speakers, sound was sound was really everything. Um, if you notice, even in the Bibles that people, if you have a Bible, look in the Bible, there isn't really very good visual description of people. Uh, you don't find out how how tall was Abraham, or you know, you know how big was Sarah, or you know what color was her hair, or any of these things. So the ancient Semitic languages felt that sound and vibration was really much more important. So how you vibrated, how you sounded, and this was not just words, 
or you could say the sound that is produced by our voices, but how you, how you radiated, how you vibrated the sound, if you will. So when one intones these words, particular words, which I point out in the new book and I have all over my website, you achieve what in the Eastern traditions is what's called a mantric effect, but with a, you could say a Semitic language, a Middle Eastern flavor to it. And this is very important. Why? Well, not just to get into an altered state, because it puts one in contact with the breath, with the vibration of the person who said the words. And this is the main thing, that when one prays, you could say Jesus's prayer with a sense of devotion, a sense of heart, uh, and intone some of the words. One doesn't even need to intone them correctly, because your heart will tune you in, I can tell you from experience, if you get it sort of in the what Americans would call the ballpark of things, it will tune your heart in. And you will experience a much closer relationship with this person who in Aramaic is called Yeshua. And on your website, people can actually go and find places where you can hear the sound and hear the chants. Is, am I correct in that? Yes, that's yes. correct. If you go to the Aramaic Jesus page, uh, you will have a little, about halfway down the page, you can hear the prayer and then learn it actually line by line. Great. So I want to mention that website. I'm here with Dr. Neil Klotz, and he is the author of Revelations of the Aramaic Jesus, The Hidden Teachings on Life and Death. And his website is, say it, say it for me. Awoon.org. Awoon.org, and that's spelled A-B-W-O-O-N.org. A-B-W-O-O-N.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz, and he is the author of Revelations of the Aramaic Jesus. We were just mentioning the website, aboon.org. And what is that word, A-B-W-O-O-N? I mean, that's not a word that we mostly no, come across. No, so it's, what, it's what a do bit you... obscure. <laughs> yeah. this, this is, I mean, you could spell it A-B-W-U-N, also in English characters, which is what I had to use. This is the first word of Jesus' prayer. This is the word that I began chanting that changed my life, actually. It's a bit like Om when you chant it, but different. And what Abun means is not really our Father, but what it means is the 
our mutual, our human creating source, our parenting. You could say that which brings us into being, if you will. You can hear this in the sounds of the words. So there's really four sounds there. Mm -hmm. And uh, if one intones it, say, on one note or with a harmonium or something like this, you, you can get the full effect. So it's, it's quite different. Yes, yes. I just wanted our listeners to, to understand that, that particular term and why it's used. And I would like to start with something, um, interpretation that you have and going to the Beatitudes. Because I think that there's the first Beatitude really contains so much. And the Beatitudes are found in the Gospel of Matthew. And the first one contains the teachings of Jesus. And he says, stated to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I, I would love for you to kind of give us a flavor of when you take that out of the translation of the Greek into English and and put it back, go backwards into Aramaic, what does that mean? I'd be happy to, Justine. Just as a brief uh, parenthetical, I'm not backward translating from Greek. I'm using the Bible that Aramaic Christians today use. It is the oldest form of the Gospels outside of the Greek version, and it's only a 100 years younger than the Greek version. So Aramaic Christians themselves today say that this was the original version. And even if it's not exactly the same, it's it's much closer to what Jesus spoke than any Greek version. So I'm using that version, which I mention in, in the new book. So on to the Beatitudes. Yeah, this is a universe here. Usually translated as you say, "Blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit." Uh, blessed, those who are ripe, those who are in the present moment, those who are in tune. Again, a vibrational metaphor, a sound metaphor. Those who are in the moment, in the now, with you could say, with what, with with reality. Uh, this is a much more common idea then, actually, than it is now. Even given all of our wonderful online and other teachings. Ripe are those, R-I-P-E, like a ripe tree. All the words in the New Testament translated as good good, or blessed are really about ripeness, being in the right place at the right time with the right action. I mean, this is a, this is a whole, you know, quantum shift there. Uh, translated as poor in spirit is an Aramaic idiom. That means, well, Baruch, we'll start with the second part. Even a, you know, a Hebrew speaker listening in will know this is going to have something to do with soul or with breath or with the breath of the soul. And so you could say, ripe are those who find their, their home, who are holding on to their breath as though it were their first and last possession. And again, remember that our breathing is the first thing that comes into us as infants and the last thing that leaves when we're in old age and we depart these bodies. So there was an understanding well established that our breath came from before, our breath, spirit, soul came from before and continues afterwards. And now we have them in this flesh. And so we just have to remember how to remember by, by being in our breathing. 
you know. So, so what's happening then, he says, what's coming to them is, you know, not some kingdom, some penthouse somewhere in, in some faraway platonic heaven, but you will find Malkuta, Malkuta Deshmaya. He mentions it again and again in the New Testament, over and over. It's always translated kingdom mistranslated, I'll say that's a mistranslation, because Malkuta in all its form is feminine gendered. So so it should be queendom, but actually, <laughs> although there were kings and queens at the time, what he's really talking about is, you could say the, what I translated in many of my books as a sense of empowerment with vision that is deep within the human deep within the human being, in our soul. This is the I can of the cosmos, as I translated it. So they will find this I can all around them, shining all around them, which is what Shemaya is. And again, it's not, heaven is not somewhere else. Heaven is here. Heaven is now. This is, this is Jesus's point of view. Breathe. Spread before us. Breathe deeply, and you'll see it. You'll experience it. Thank you for all of that. And now I want to read this. And this, uh, from what I understand, is the translation of what you just described. So this is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the the Greek, uh, English. Blessed ripening into life and its empowerment moves towards those who cling to their breathing as their first and last possession. Riper are those who dissolve their small selves within breath. They live in their shimmering I can of nature in the cosmos. So that's a flavor of your translation, which just like, wow. I mean, one could contemplate just that, those lines in and of themselves for a lifetime to start to gather the the luminosity of life and what Jesus was trying to convey. Uh, I I just love that. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) When you have done that, (laughs) you are doing that. And, you know, in in Jesus's time, and you write about this, uh, people um, felt themselves less as individuals, so to speak, as we are now, as we think of ourselves as separate from nature or separate from that which we see with our eyes. And we think, okay, that object is over there and I'm here and I'm very separated from that. And also really separate from nature, I think, is the most important one. And uh, how did Yeshua, as his name is, is in Aramaic, how did uh, he see our relationship with nature? He, as you saw, as you mentioned, Justine, he saw it much more as an interrelationship. It's really more of like what Thich Nhat Hanh talks about as interbeingness. It's not like there's an object and here I am the subject. This subject-object thing in relation to nature, which is a later, you could say, if evolution or devolution of the, of the human <laughs> consciousness uh, was not av- available at that time. This was changing at the time of Yeshua, which is one of the reasons I think he came. The people for hundreds of thousands of years had felt as though nature was like clothing that they wore outside of themselves, you know, and 
when you touch a person's clothing, you know, you, it's like you touch the person. And so it wasn't like, okay, there's the tree and this is going to be a bench or, or God knows what or, or the poor tree. No, the, the tree is like, I experience the tree, yes, in what I see and what I experience, but I see more than the physical form of the tree. I see all these things that we find in ancient world uh, cultures, uh, the spirit of the tree. You know, which is called different names in different different world traditions, and I would say this is not different in Aramaic, ancient Aramaic, or ancient Semitic languages than in the rest of the world. So, when you say like "spirit of the tree," "spirit of the tree," so there's a like lot a deva, that, or you know, this you know, sort of thing. I mean, we think of like like Celtic religions, like they yes, worship yes. trees and and so forth and so on, and and we think that that's quaint or. Or yeah. some of us might think of that as being quite quaint. But you're talking about something much different. It's about everything infused. It goes to quantum physics, doesn't it? Everything it does. is a vibration. We are a vibration that's maybe slowed down enough that we can see it. But we're nevertheless still just this part of this vibrating cosmos. Uh, yes, and this is very deep within us as human beings. Um, and of course, there are many, many different ways that people are trying to rediscover this now, or they're re-remembering it, if you will. One of the reasons I wanted to do the new book was, was because I wanted to bring together the work that I'd done in the last 40 years, but also expand it and show that this isn't just about that words mean different things. This is about a, a different view of life, a different cosmology. You could say, using academic terms, a different epistemology, a different way of knowing. Um, circling back to your question from before, I did later... Uh, go on and study academic properly, academically. Uh, and I had, I obtained a PhD in the hermeneutics of ancient Semitic languages, if you like those big words, which means interpretation theory of these ancient languages, which involve bringing in psychology and somatics, somatic psychology, all these different things. Because in those days, none of this was divided. You didn't have this divided. I know in that somatic, world of being in the body, realizing things of the, the body and how it receives things, that's really important because how we receive the words, the sound of the words, or receive the spirit of the trees. Uh, so say something about the, our somatic bodies and how that lives in the world. Well, somatics, I'm not going to give you a lecture on that, but anyway, somatic, because I used, I used to live in the Bay Area, as you know, the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, the, the term somatic in its current use originated in the Bay Area with a man by the name of Thomas Hanna, who was a Feldenkrais teacher. And I had the privilege of studying with various somatic therapy pioneers, uh, Charlotte Selver, Charles Brooks, who used to live there, wonderful people. Uh, Littlemore Johnson, who came and visited from Norway, um, Gerda Alexander, who was the founder of Utney, and said, I studied with her personally. And this, this had a lot to do with my actually being able to do this work. So the somatics, the body awareness, that body awareness is, is taken for granted. How we are in our bodies is a simple way of putting this, how that feels. 
and how we receive sound and vibration and touch, all of, all of that, that, that's all necessary to, to understanding, uh, you could say, Jesus. I'm here with Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz, and he is the author of Revelations of the Aramaic Jesus, The Hidden Teachings on Life and Death. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to the website abun.org, and that's spelled A-B-W-O-O-N.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz, and we're talking about the original words of and acts of Jesus as reported in, in Aramaic, the language that he actually spoke. And one of the big, big things in Christianity really comes from John, the Gospel of John. And uh, there are several things that, that, that the Christians cling to and put together and put out. Uh, and one is that uh, this phrase, I think it's um, John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So there's the there's one of the biggies of Christianity that it's only through Jesus that you can be saved. So I'm I'm interpreting that. Yeah, you see this on billboards in the US when I travel there. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You see that John 14:6. I mean, there it is. You you see you'll see it at football games. What is the misunderstanding about being born again? That's it's similar, actually. Um, both phrases are from John. You know, about I think almost half the book is about John and Mark, actually, because this so-called "I am" phrases are so misunderstood. I have to. I sigh before I begin this, but <laughs> I, I have to tell people: yes, you can use the term "I am," or there's some groups talk about the "I am" experience. That's okay as long as you understand that actually Aramaic doesn't have a way to say am. It doesn't have is, are, or am. It doesn't have being verbs. Now, that's a linguistic thing, but it's very important because for Aramaic speakers and Semitic speakers in general, everything was always in motion. So you couldn't say like, I am. You could say, I living, for instance. Living is a process. Am is a state, a fixed state. Like, I am Neil. Well, okay, maybe you're not really Neil. Neil is your name. So, so this understanding pervades Jesus' teachings. What he says in John, in all of these sayings, is not I am, but I. He uses the word I and another I. So he says, inna. Inna means I. And inna, another I. Inna, inna. 
that means the I-I. It's almost like Rastafarian, actually. So, <laughs> um, which means that when I connect my small individual self, my I, to the source of that I, the only I, then I'm in the right place at the right time. Way, truth, and life in Aramaic are really, okay, way is, so that is your path. Yes, that is your path. Truth is the sense of the right direction, shrara in Aramaic. It's like your GPS. And Jesus also uses this word many times. When you touch this place where your eye is connected to reality, Allah, the source of your eye, then you know which direction to go. So it's the path, the sense of which direction to go when I reach a decision point, And it says, wahai, life. It's it's life energy. It's the power. You know, it's it's really, it's all about life energy. It's not about life somewhere else that we're going to go. I mean, what you find now is found, is found there, actually, according to many mystics and also according to Jesus. So he says, inahna, urha, the path, shrada, sense of right direction, wachai, the life energy to travel. So say it in the interpretation, the English interpretation ah. of Aramaic. Well, say it um, both ways in Aramaic and the <laughs> yeah. Say it both ways. I always improvise on the English. You know, it's whatever I put in the book is what's happening that day. But Aramaic is inahna urha shrada wahai, and you could say connecting my small eye, my individual self, to the source of that self shows me the path that is illuminated ahead of me. It shows me which direction to travel, and it provides me the energy to travel. Uh, colloquially, it's it's the road, the compass, and the gas. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so that's the way. So uh, no man comes to the father but by me. The road, the petrol, oh, yeah, and the okay, gas. That. Yeah, and then he says, yeah, this, this is another part. This is the new book, too. Yeah, this is wonderful. He says... You can only get there in a couple of different different ways. Um, and this is one of them. Connect your small self to the only self. And you won't get to the breathing life of all, the fathering, mothering of the cosmos, you know, unless you connect in this way. So because it's it's in you, it's not out there in some religion or some some spiritual group or or some special this or technique. No, it's in you already. You know, and it, Jesus points to different ways to find it. Uh, that's why I think the Gospels are full of different spiritual practices. So in that way, that's what you're saying all along. Uh, this is what Jesus continues to repeat over and over and over again, points us to this, this path that is within us. Yes, and he, he phrases it in different, very beautiful ways, all beginning with ina, ina, usually translated I am, but really I, I, the connection of the small self to the large self, the true self, or whatever, this capital S self, as Jung calls it. 
What what about some of the miracles, so-called miracles in the Bible that are attributed to Jesus, like turning water into wine or 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 feeding the multitudes uh, with a single loaf of bread or pick up your bed and walk, you know, or the raising of Lazarus. Uh, so some of these miracles, let's talk about some of those. Uh, pick one and help us understand what was happening there. I'll pick the I'll pick the healing ones since those are most prevalent. And here again, we have to understand, you know, a different way of looking at life, to put it simply, a different cosmology. Yeshua had done this connection, I, I. Uh, he was open to the, the Shemaya, that is the shining of, you know, through the cosmos, the power in the cosmos. I love it when uh, you say the mother, mothering and fathering of, the mothering and fathering of the cosmos. Uh, I love that phrase. So he, he was open to all this, and uh, when he healed people, uh, he was able to touch that part of their being uh, that allowed them to, you could say, become a different self, become a different person. And he did this in various ways, through breathing, sometimes through his sound, through his words, sometimes just through his atmosphere. I mean, it shouldn't seem so odd because there are people who are still able to do this today. They may be born with certain gifts or because of some traumatic incident, they all of a sudden discover that they have these healing powers. So I, it, it I have to give you an example. I just, just yesterday, I was talking with my sister and an, a new person came into her um, um, rehabilitation place. I think this new woman was from Africa. And Juliet was asking for some medication for arthritis. And this woman, she said, oh, you mean this? And she she put her hands on her. And Juliet was... I. She just described this luminous process of just being healed of all of her arthritic pain in that moment. I mean, she said it, it was amazing. I mean, my sister does not exaggerate, and she just went on and on. She said it was amazing. So that's an example of what you're talking about here and right now with us. You know, all this, I won't go on about this, but all this is called, you know, none of this is tracked by the modern medical system. It's called spontaneous healing or whatever, or you know, asymmetric or, you know, unusual. And so there's no records of these things, but they're happening all over the place. But nobody keeps track, so they consider it, oh, well, that's whatever, woo-woo, or this or that. So when the Bible, in the Bible, and they report these healing moments that Jesus, we look at it and we, we look at it at the man who did it, so to speak, and then we revere him and put him up on a pedestal like he was a special person. Yes. But did, did he consider himself special? This is a big question, Justine. <laughs> oh, he considered every person special. He considered, I mean, I, I'm. it's like when they ask on the BBC, well, how do you feel about that? Well, could, well how, what? So I don't want to project myself into Jesus too much, although I have, but um, he considered that he has a special mission. Uh, he was right on the cusp of, of a certain development of human consciousness. 
where people were losing that sense of this interbeing that I spoke about earlier, not only within nature, but within their own community. The people in his area had been under oppression for hundreds of years by various empires, one after the other after the other. And as I mentioned in the book, the Romans would come or their, you know, their puppet king would come and they take your son or daughter away if you couldn't pay the taxes you thought you owed or they take you into slavery. And it's like, that's it, overnight. So they're all living with what, not what we call a sort of traumatic syndrome, not post-traumatic. They were living in the trauma for generations. And this created all sorts of what psychologists call our uh, liminal states. That is, people were somewhat out of it, their bodies, or we don't want to give these labels because these aren't necessarily helpful. But today people call this schizophrenia or this or that, but better just call them liminal states. They were in between the worlds. That's what liminal means. And so he was in between the worlds, but in a healthy way. So he would be able to show people by his breath, by his sound, by his being, okay, here's a way to be in both worlds in a healthy way. You're there in, a, in an unhealthy way. What I'm, I'm hearing is that he could match their state of being. Correct. And then uh, bring them into this other reality that he also lived. Is it, Exactly. I- Exactly. That's that's the be- It's even better than what I said. <laughs> so that's yes. That's that's a perfect way of putting it. Yes. So this is really enlightening us in so many ways, Neil. Your work in this, your work with all these phrases in the Bible that we have taken in a certain way and laid them down in cement and and pave them over or spread fixative on them so that they just stay in one place. And you, what you really help us to see is the moving nature and the uh, luminosity of this, this teaching that is present within us, within our very breath every day. Um, so I, I just want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz. And by the way, he spells his last name K-L-O-T-Z, just for people to know that, Neil Douglas Klotz. And his newest book is Revelations of the Aramaic Jesus, The Hidden Teachings on Life and Death. And his website is abun.org, A-B-W-O-O-N.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz, and we're talking about the Aramaic Jesus, which is the original language that he spoke. Some of us listeners have experienced the work of Father Matthew Fox and have heard this beautiful, beautiful prayers as we've gone into these celebrations with Matthew Fox that are so beautiful. And it's the Lord's Prayer, Jesus's Prayer. And and he really uh, takes it from you, Neil, and your uh, Aramaic translation of that prayer. So let's talk about Jesus's Prayer, or as some of us know it as the Lord's Prayer. Yes, thanks, Justine. I'm very grateful to Matt Fox. We worked together for many years. We still work together. I just had him on a webcast about an, a month ago. And uh, yeah, he's he's still going strong. So he encouraged me in all this work. That's really important to mention. When I began to work at his institute in Oakland, he said, Neil, all this chanting and dancing is nice, but you know, you should really write a book about this, about the Aramaic. And so he did, and and he helped me get it published. So, you know... My, my deep gratitude. It is where I began, as I mentioned when we started this session. And the prayer, Jesus' prayer, uh, contains really the essence of, of much, if not most, of his teaching. Now, he didn't simply pray in words. He also prayed in, in breath and in vibration. I think that's clear, as I mentioned in the book. But these words are, are particular and, and very important. Uh, I'll say the whole prayer, and then I'll give you a very, very brief sort of gloss through it. But as I say, I've I wrote a whole book about this, basically, and there's a lot of it in the new book. Avun de Bashmaya, nitka de shemoch, tete malkutach, nechwe sibiyanach ekana, dibashmaya af ba'ar ah. Hablan lachama de sun kanan yomana. Washbuklan chawain wachtahain. I kanad of hanan shwachanal chayabain. Willa tachlan lenisuna ila patsan min bisha. Metu de lachemal kuta. Wahaila watesh buchta. La alam almin. Amen. So again, very briefly. Uh, we begin with this sense of, of unity, avun de bashmaya, o breathing life of all, o fathering, mothering of the cosmos. This is reality. This is Yeshua pointing towards reality itself, which is not only, it's not somewhere else. He says, de bashmaya. It's around you in all the vibrating cosmos, in nature, in each other, all of it. It's there, you know. So it's seen and unseen. And then he goes into nitkad shemuch, usually translated, hallowed be thy name. So what this really means, if you want to do a quick gloss on it, is empty yourself to receive this remembrance, this shem, this light, this vibration. Create space for it. So instead of hallow, it would be better to hollow. But, and then he has tete malkutah, let your malkutah come. And this I mentioned before, malkutah is this combination of vision with empowerment, which I would call the I can of the cosmos. And we notice, for instance, when we're children, we reach about two years old, and we might say to our mother or father, you know, I can do this myself. I can tie my shoes myself. I can. So this is, this is the awakening of a particular feature in the human spirit at a particular age. And he says, find that malkuta within you. 
And then he says, let your Malkuta comes through us. So when I feel my own empowerment and vision, let that come from the source. This is I will be done, right? Uh, no, this is the next part. I'm getting to that. Right? Oh, so, no. Hold, this on, hold is, your horses. This so, is uh, thy kingdom come. Okay. <laughs> this is thy kingdom come. Okay. And then uh, thy will be done, etc., etc. Let your heart's desire really not will or willpower, but Sibyanach is sort of heart's desire, come through us then. When we have this vision with empowerment, let your heart's desire to come through us so that heaven and earth are united, which means our individual life, our particle life, and our life in the cosmos, our wave life, if you want to use quantum terms. It's really like that. People think all this quantum stuff is new, but ancient peoples, they understood this just in different terms. I mean, many Native people say this anyway. So, and the same in the Native Middle Eastern tradition. I love what you just said. And I've not heard it on New Dimensions ever put quite that way. Our particle self and our wave self. Our particle self that that we call the I, and then the I-I, our wave self of the where we're connected to the parenting of the cosmos, the breath of the cosmos. Yes. I mean, this is where you have the both hand. Yes. This is the real non-duality, if you will, not the abstract one, but the one where you're, you're holding both. What holds it? The heart. This is what he says. Sibyanak, the heart's, you could say the heart is able to hold this, the heart's desire. Then in the second half, this is all about, you could say, you know, how we act, how we live amongst those whom we're living with now. Give us our bread, give this day our daily bread. This is mostly okay, except for lachma is not necessarily wheat or even bread, it's food. And it doesn't even necessarily physical food. It could be mental, what we call mental food, emotional food, you know, all these things. Give us enough for this illuminated moment. Because that's what daily. Give us our nourishment. Give us our nourishment for this moment, this illuminated moment, because that's what a day is in the ancient Semitic languages. It's a, it's a period of light alternating with dark. And then we have this long line that you'll remember. I was sounding like I was clearing my throat. You know, all that. So that's all about the forgiveness and the, you know, or the, here Aramaic Christians combine the Matthew version and the Luke version, actually, of the prayer. So that's what I do. It really says, untie the knots that we're tied in, in, in terms of our relationships. I've got all tangled in, in different aspects of, of, a, of a relationship. Untie that knot. Or I've overstepped a boundary is the other image that's used in Matthew. I've overstepped my own boundary or allowed someone to, overstepped another person's boundary. You can sort of like, okay, go back you know, undo that if you can. And then he says, at the same time that we are doing that, at the same time, we are released. Our knots are untied. So we release and we are released at the same time. It's and simultaneous. In the, what I had written down from your interpretation, returning us to our heart's ripeness 
in the present moment. I I, I love that phrase. And there yeah, that's again, nice. Using I like rightness. that. I forgot. <laughs> well, that's yours. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so then we, we we wind it up with the most problematic line: uh, Don't let us. Uh, sorry, I only know the the, the right one. Um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It really says, that's a mistranslation. It says, do not let us enter nisyuna, which is forgetfulness. Exactly. Go, yes. Ela patzan minbisha, but set us free from, go figure, unripeness. So mm. evil is unripeness. Set us free from not being in the moment. I mean, it's it's clear. And then the very last line of the prayer is just a beautiful sort of summing up. It's a sort of dedicating. Many prayers in world traditions have dedication. To you belongs all the Malkuta. This is, uh, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, etc. To you belongs all the Malkuta, the I can, Wahaila, uh, and the life energy, and the song. The song, the harmony that that, cre that creates everything. To you belongs all this. So glory is really song or has to do with a musical image, metaphor, vibration. Amen. <laughs> and amen, amen isn't just amen is like this is this is this is my real truth, people. He's telling them. This was an affirmation that's done at the end of a prayer. This is where I stand. This is my this is the earth of my being. So so in that last, which I, I love and what I wrote down from what I glean from all all that I kind of pulled out of your book and so forth and so on. Um, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And here, here's what I wrote down. The divine vision, energy, and song accompany us on this journey. May all I have said be the earth from which my new growth springs. Amen. Truly power to these statements. May they be the source from which all my actions grow. And I, I think of the Buddhists, I dedicate this for the yeah. for the benefit of all life. And, and it's really yeah. kind of amen in that way. Yeah, amen is, uh, half of that translation is amen. <laughs> Say amen, somebody. So, and, and yeah, dedication is all over ancient prayers. And here it is. It's in Semitic prayers, not just Aramaic, Hebrew, Arabic, of course. Classical Arabic has these things too, so. Yeah, it's it's a really important dedication, dedication uh, that yeah. is. You offer uh, it up. Whatever you've done, you up, offer may, it up. May they be the source from which all my actions grow. And truly power to these statements. Yeah, thank you. Oh, whew. wow, what a whirlwind. What a whirlwind we've been through. Thank you so much, Neil, for being with us today. I've been here with uh, Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz, and he's the author of Revelations of the Aramaic Jesus, the Hidden Teachings on Life and Death. And if you want to know more about this work and, and actually get some of the recordings and the chants of these beautiful, beautiful prayers, I just encourage you to go to the website abun.org, and that's spelled A-B-W-O-O-N, abun.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, New Dimensions. Dot org. And I just encourage you to, to listen, especially 
to the Lord's Prayer. It's so beautiful when it's when you hear it chanted, and and we're using a bit of that within this program, so you can hear just a, a tiny flavor of that here today. And so, thank you all for being with us. I'm Justine Willis Toms, and you've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number. 3,775. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org, or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.